Well, hey, uh, we're going to jump into the Word right away this afternoon. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, Acts chapter 1, we, we, uh, just to give you a little bit of a context, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, uh, the, the book of Acts is all about, it's actually written by the author, uh, the same author that wrote Luke. This is uh, another book that, that Luke wrote, and it is essentially the, the history of the early church. It is the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but it could more, in, more accurately be named the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it's all about how the Holy Spirit established the early church, the church that we are in today. Uh, could tie its roots back, its uh, spiritual lineage back to this situation that we're going to read about in Acts 1. I want you to just think about that for a second, that this is not just the history of the Bible or of the, of the, the big C church. This is actually, what we're about to read is sent churches, church history. The great, 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 times a lot. Granddaddy Church of St. Church is this church right now here in the book of Acts, which is really cool. So so you're reading the history of your church when we read Acts 1. This is Jesus, and he's talking to the disciples. And it says this in verse 4. Now, just to clarify where we're at in church history here, Jesus uh, has already died and risen from the dead. He is now walking the earth as the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's hanging out, sharing a meal with his disciples. And it says this, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, Do not leave. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So literally, Jesus is calling all of you to Alaska right there in that verse, to the ends of the earth, all right? All right, it's time for an altar call. No, I'm just teasing, all right? There's actually a village uh, in Alaska called Nunamakwa, which is a Yupik word for the ends of the earth, which is pretty cool. Uh, It's on the banks of the the Bering Sea. Uh, that's, That's not in my notes. I have no idea why I went there. But anyways, Jesus says, don't leave. And I find this really, really interesting because he was talking to his disciples. And his disciples had just completed the greatest ministry internship in the history of the world. They had just gotten done spending three and a half years with Jesus. Three and a half years of intensive training. Three and a half years of watching Jesus do ministry of doing ministry with Jesus and then having Jesus go and send them out to do ministry on their own and coming back, receiving extra coaching so that they could go out and do ministry on their own again, come back and receive extra coaching. They witnessed miracles. They watched people walk on water. They watched Jesus, uh, you know, get raised from the dead. They watched Jesus raise people from the dead. They saw lepers get healed. They saw blind eyes open. They saw bleeding stop. They saw all of these incredible miracles. And Jesus says, you are not ready. Had to be a little bit of shot at their pride, right? It's like, Jesus, really, after all of this? Like, we left family, we left businesses for this cause, and you're telling me that I'm not ready, even after three and a half years? How much longer do we need to wait, Jesus? It points to the importance of how radically awesome the gift 
that Jesus was referring to when he talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus was so bold, one day as he was teaching the disciples, he said, he says, hey, I'm not going to be with you much longer, and they're all sad. They're like, oh, why are you leaving? What is going to happen? What's going to happen to us? Why are you breaking up the band, Jesus? And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. It's actually a good thing that I'm leaving, because when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I ever taught you. He's going to guide you in all truth. He's going to convict the world of sin. This is actually a good thing. And that's a bizarre thing for Jesus to say. He says there's actually somebody coming that's going to be more useful than even I would be able to be. Because Jesus, when he walked the earth, could only be in one place at one time. And he says, there's somebody coming that's going to be with you. He's going to be living inside of you. And not just inside of you, Peter, or you, John, or you, James. In all of you and in every believer to ever walk the earth. And that Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of you when you get saved, he's going to baptize you in power so that you can go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the problem I think sometimes when it comes to this scenario is that we have a hard time understanding just how radical of a statement this really was. And you see in Acts 2, we see, if you can turn there, in Acts 2, the, the, on the day of Pentecost, so they're waiting around in this upper room, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, in verse 1, says they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right. So in order to understand how, why Jesus said wait, you have to understand, and in order to understand why these guys were obedient to wait, you have to understand their perspective of the Holy Spirit. You see, the people who were in the upper room waiting for this gift that the Father promised, the coming of the Holy Spirit, would have understood the Holy Spirit in a way you and I maybe have a difficulty to understand the Holy Spirit. These people were Jewish, which means that they would have grown up hearing stories from the Torah and from the, from the Old Testament scriptures about the mighty works of the Holy Spirit. They would have heard stories of the Red Sea being parted. They would have heard stories of the, the glory of the Lord shining upon Moses' face. They would have heard stories of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. They didn't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe to become enamored with, right? They grew up being enamored with these stories. This was not just teaching. This was their entertainment. This is the stories that they would have heard their dads and their grandpas tell them as they were drifting off to sleep. Dad, tell me the story of when Elijah beat up all the, those prophets of Baal again, right? Dad, tell me that story of, of when Elisha told those bears to come out and maul those kids. <laughs> I like that story, Dad. They would have heard these stories and then Jesus literally is telling those same kids, that Holy Spirit that you grew up knowing about, he's about to come. So hold on here. And so in order to understand this from that perspective, what I want to do this afternoon is I want to take a little bit of a nerdy deep dive into who the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament because if we can understand that, we can understand the perspective of the disciples of how awesome they really must have believed this gift was going to be. And if we understand that and we know that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, then we carry the same Holy Spirit of the Old Testament is living inside of us as believers. And that same Holy Spirit that's living inside of you as a believer is going to want to baptize you, immerse you in power this afternoon. Amen? 
You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would anoint people. Everyone say anoint. Now, we use that word kind of flippantly in Pentecostal charismatic circles. We think it's like, oh, worship was anointed, right? And we go, oh, that preaching was anointed, or that guy is anointed, or that girl is anointed, or whatever it is. Well, what does that even mean? Well, in the Old Testament, to anoint literally meant to bestow with kingdom authority. And when you would be anointed by something, something would come upon you. If a prophet was going to anoint somebody to be king, he would pour oil on them. When Elijah anointed Elisha to be his, uh, his successor in his prophetic ministry, he put a cloak on top of him. When Jesus was anointed in power, for his ministry, a dove came and came upon him. These anointings were things that happened when something came upon you to bestow kingdom authority to you. And in the Old Testament, this happened for three different roles. One was the role of the priest, another was the role of the prophet, and another one was the role of the king. People who had important offices, important things to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And this only happened to select individuals at select times. And the prophet Joel in the Old Testament was so bold that he said, In those days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will have visions. Even in those days on both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. In other words, there's going to be an anointing that rests upon every believer. Now, that is the prophet and the priest and the king was the offices under the old covenant, the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, He was the perfect representation of all three of those offices. He was the perfect priest. He was the carrier of God's presence because he was God himself. And the Bible says we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way we were, or we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was also the perfect prophet, the mouthpiece of God, because he was God himself, and he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he saw or heard the Father saying. And my friends, Jesus is our perfect king, and he's going to reign as king forevermore in the age to come. All of those offices have been fulfilled in Christ. And because they've been fulfilled in Christ, now Jesus says, now I'm going to take the authority, all authority that has been given to me. Jesus says, I am going to give it to you. Which means that as a believer, you can actually be a carrier of the prophetic anointing, the priestly anointing, and the kingship anointing in your life. Amen? Okay, so what does this actually look like today? That doesn't mean that you go around calling yourself like, you know, it doesn't mean you go home and and you say, well, Steve says that I am the king of my house now and I have authority. You all must listen to me. No, that's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you should change your name to like Prophet Jerry on Facebook, right? Again, that's how cults get started. Don't do that. What I'm saying is that you carry an anointing that is far more radically awesome than what we could ever begin to comprehend or imagine. So how do we walk into that? We carry those credentials because of what Jesus gave us. And this is why Jesus said, don't go anywhere. You're gonna screw it up. If you're not operating with the priestly anointing, a prophet anointing, and a kingship or queenship anointing, you guys are gonna mess up this early church. You need help, so chill. So let's look at these three. We're going to break them down and we're going to talk about how they actually apply to our life in our today's day and age. The first one we're going to talk about is the priestly anointing. In the Old Testament, the priest's job were to be carriers and caretakers of the presence of God. 
They would have handled sacrifices. They would have handled everything that happened in the temple. And they would have needed to do it in such a way that would bring honor and glory to the Lord. They would have done the atoning sacrifices for the people of God. They were essentially somebody who was a bridge point to the presence of God to the people. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died. In other words, the presence of God is now available to everybody, and therefore we must operate with the same type of authority and anointing of that of the priests of the Old Testament. Meaning that you are now a carrier and caretaker of the presence of God in your own life. You are a carrier and caretaker for the presence of God in your marriage. You are a carrier and caretaker for the presence of God in your home. You are a carrier and caretaker of the presence of God in your business and in your line of work. So how are you caretaking and carrying the presence of God. When I came, I did not grow up in charismatic Pentecostal Christianity, all right? This, this whole, like, what we just did, worshiping with hands raised and jumping up and down and clapping, uh, yeah, you would have been very quickly escorted out of church. And so when I came to the, my first Chi Alpha service, uh, I remember being pretty uncomfortable because I walk in and I was like, I knew I kind of wanted to be part I, I, of something Christian in college, but I really wasn't sure what that was going to look like. I knew some friends who like really fell off the deep end when they came to college and I knew I didn't want to do that. So I was like, okay, I'll come to this thing. And I, I walk into Chi Alpha and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> these people are crazy. <laughs> And maybe, maybe that's your story. You're like, Steve, I'm barely hanging on here at St. Church. This isn't my cup of tea, but, uh, but there's something about this tea. Right? <laughs> that's what I was. I was like, listen, these people are literally, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, don't, there's, I think these people are crazy. But then I got to know them, and I was like, they actually seem pretty genuine. And as I got to know him a little bit more, I started to learn that these people loved Jesus more than any other group of people I had ever been around in my life. And I couldn't reconcile those two things. I was like, okay, this makes me radically uncomfortable, but these people are radically in love with Jesus. There must be something to what they're doing, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense to me. And I remember that people would like be singing songs and we, they'd be lifting their hands. And I was like, man, I've never done that before. But if, if you love Jesus that way, this cannot possibly be a bad thing. I want to I love Jesus like this. And what it did was it did exactly what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. It says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or it's Steve enters your meeting, he is convicted by all, he is called out, called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. See, every single week I'd come to my Kyalpha group, there'd be a prophetic word or, or something that like just, it was like, how, how did Pastor Brad, who told him, who told him about what was going on in my life? <laughs> It was the Holy Spirit working there. And it eventually caught up to me. And it changed my life. And eventually I said, okay, I'm going to surrender to this thing. But my friends, it starts with us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. When God brings conviction to our hearts, we have a choice. We can either run from it or we can embrace it. And my encouragement to you is that as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, he is essentially trying to tell you as a carrier and caretaker of the presence of God, hey, there's something that is preventing you from carrying my presence in a specific way. 
without holiness in this area of your life, there are going to be people in your life, your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers will not see the presence of God in your life. And I want I love you too much to not point this out, Jesus is saying. My friends, often in the church today, we shout for revival, we beg for awakening, and we don't let Jesus revive the dead recesses of our hearts. We want to be part of a movement. We say, God, do it. And we refuse to let God move our hearts. Prayer changes things, yes, but prayer also changes you so that you can be part of partnering with God to change things. That's what carrying the priestly anointing is all about. When I was a freshman in college, I had, uh, was part of a, a, a conference very similar to this one. I do not remember what the preacher talked about. I do not remember his name. I do not remember what he looked like. I do not remember a single thing he said. But I remember what the Lord did that night. I was sitting in the back. I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on, and I felt this tug towards the beginning of the service. I cannot explain it. It was not an audible voice. It was just like this impression on my heart and mind that I just knew that it was like this inclination that there's going to be, this preacher is going to call people forward tonight, and you need to go up to the front of the room. I was like, no, 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 no. There's pro- there, probably won't, there probably won't be one of those call forward things. Little did I know I was at a Pentecostal retreat. And there's always one of those call forward things. And so sure enough, there was a call forward thing at the end. It's like, oh, man. And I was sitting by some of my friends, and none of them went up. And so I was like, like, I'm probably off the hook. And it was just like there was a fire started within my soul. And I couldn't explain it. I mean, literally my heart started pumping and I was like getting sweaty and I was like, oh my gosh. It's like, okay, what do I have to lose? So finally I got off out of my chair. I walked to the front. I come to the front and I look around. Literally, I like walk to the front. I'd never done anything like this before. I look around, I'm like, everybody else is kneeling down. I guess I'll try that. <laughs> I guess that's the formula. Okay, so I go up and I kneel on the floor and my friends... I cannot explain it. The moment my knees hit the floor, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The power of God came upon me. How it expressed itself to me is that I started to weep uncontrollably. And in that moment, everything changed in my life. I will never forget, it was like the Holy Spirit conviction was on overdrive. And I started to, it wasn't, it was like this sweet understanding of the fact that God was so saddened by my sin, not because he was angry with me, but because he had something so much better for me. And he was in anguish, not because he wanted to slap me upside the head, but because he said, Steve, I love you way too much to see you stay in this pathway it will lead to destruction. At the time, I was part of an incredibly unhealthy relationship. That young lady that was there, or that young lady I was dating was actually at that same conference. And when I got up off the floor that night, I walked up to her and I said, hey, we need to talk. We chatted that evening and I said, listen, the Holy Spirit did something in my life. I can't explain this, but like, I need to start pursuing a life of purity before the Lord. And this is going to sound crazy because we were very physically active in our relationship. I said, I felt like the Lord told me that the next woman I'm going to kiss is going to be my wife. And we need to be done with everything physical. That relationship only lasted another couple months. (laughs) But it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. There was something that the Lord did. He said, Steve, you are not, right now, you are not the carrier and the caretaker of my presence that I've designed you to be. My friend, 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There is more at stake here than just our souls. It is also the souls of those around us that need to see the presence of God. Let's move to the prophetic anointing. You see, I believe that God wants to anoint you with the power of the Holy Spirit, not just to be a carrier and caretaker of his presence, but also to be to carry the anointing of that of a prophet. In the Old Testament, the role of the prophet was a couple different things. One of them was to give guidance for direction. Should we go to war or should we not go to war? Should we go over there or should we not go over there? Another one was to be the mouthpiece for the mind and heart of God. Those thus saith the Lord moments. The corrective moments. The, hey, you guys need to repent moments. And another reason was for the Lord to display his miraculous power. Seas to be parted. Clouds of smoke and fire to guide people by day and night. Fire called down from heaven to consume an offering. People saying that it's not going to rain and it doesn't rain because they say it doesn't rain and then they say it's going to rain and then it rains. Incredible stories. Those were the roles of the, the Old Testament prophet. In the New Testament, God wants to anoint you to do the same thing. Greater things than these, Jesus says, you are going to do because I am going to be with the Father. Signs and wonders will accompany the preaching of the gospel. Not might accompany the preaching of the gospel. Not will accompany the preaching of the gospel at Holy Spirit Conference. Signs and wonders will accompany the preaching of the gospel. Oh, by the way, that's not limited to a church service on a Sunday either. You preach the gospel to somebody at work, on your floor, at the hospital. If you preach the gospel, you better be ready for signs and wonders to accompany the preaching of that gospel. And you can be the carrier of that type of anointing. The Holy Spirit wants to bless you in that way. Our, your city needs people who carry this anointing. My friends, the world is looking for this. We, as we increasingly become a post-Christian nation, we need to start thinking in the mindset of that of a missionary. And anytime a missionary went anywhere in the, in the New Testament, they would preach the gospel, people would be healed, blind eyes would open, people would be raised, like things happened. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to verify the message that we have been given. And healing is God's will. The night I got called into Holy Spirit, there was clarity for direction in my life. You see, when I got that same night that I talked about, that I walked up front and I kneeled down on the ground, I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that night not only did I, was I given conviction of sin in my life, but that night the Holy Spirit said, started to guide me into this pathway towards ministry. You see that prophetic anointing looked like giving me guidance for direction. If you're here this afternoon and you are asking the Lord for direction for your life, God, what should I do? Where should I go? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I marry this person or not? Should I, should I, you know, homeschool my kids or should I not homeschool my kids? Should I do this with my family or do this with my family? Should we move here? Should I take this job or take that job? If you need guidance and direction, God's voice will give you clarity. You carry the prophetic anointing for guidance and direction. For some, I believe this, that this afternoon, God's gonna give you a glimpse of his heart to see what he sees. The prophet in the Old Testament saw what God saw and heard what God was trying to say. 
And I believe that for some of you, you are going to feel what God feels. You're going to start to see the reality of the desperation of the situation around you. I challenge you to pray this last night. That pray and ask God to, to give you a glimpse of what breaks his heart. That if you ask God, God, I want my heart to break for what your heart breaks for. Help me see the reality of the eternal situation of my coworker. It will cause agony in your soul. And that agony in your soul will cause you to pray, depend on the Lord, and look for opportunities to carry the presence of God into that person's life. The night I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I also wept over a lost person for the first time ever. It surprised me. I was like, God, what am I, why am I crying? It was because in this one fell swoop, God was doing all of this crazy awesome stuff. And it gave me a hunger to see those who didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. It did exactly what we were talking about last night about conviction versus commitment. It moved me from a place of being committed to following Jesus to being convicted to following Jesus. When I was a, a student in, in Chi Alpha, my, pa- my campus pastor had been doing Chi Alpha for like 30 years. That's a long time to do Chi Alpha. Uh, I'm believing it for you, Derek, all right? 30 years. <laughs> And Brad had seen it all, had done it all, right? At this point, I, I don't know how many times he had preached to Chi Alpha. And we got done, and there was this, there was, we just had this powerful night of ministry. It was, oh man, it was so much fun. I think we had like four or five people had given their hearts to Jesus that night. There was a, a word of knowledge spoken, uh, and somebody got physically healed. It was just a really, really cool night. And uh, I walk out to my car after kind of like the Chi Alpha after party thing. And it's like 10.30 at night at this point, And my phone is ringing and it's Pastor Brad. I'm like, you know, Pastor Brad and, uh, you know, when you're a college student, anybody above the age of 30 is ancient, you know, and goes to bed at like 9 p.m. And so I was like, what is Brad calling me at 10.30? This is, this is terrible. This must be an emergency. And so I answer the phone. I'm like, Brad, is everything okay? And he goes, oh, Steve. I just had to call and talk to somebody. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, what's going on? He goes, oh, I just, I was so excited about everything that happened tonight. I just, I'm not going to be able to sleep for a while. And in that moment, I recognized and realized that my campus pastor had had his heart transplanted by the heart of God. And what what excites God excites Brad. Even after 30 years of ministry, of seeing college students get saved and set free and set on fire and called into ministry and sent all over the globe, it hadn't gotten old to him. Why? Because I believe Brad cultivated a prophetic heart to see the spiritual realities of every single person. And so when one person would get saved, Brad wouldn't be able to sleep at night because he understood what just happened right in front of his very eyes. Somebody's eternity changed tonight. And that's something to be excited about. That's something to lose sleep over, right? And before he got off the phone, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Steve, it's just not fair that we get to have this much fun. And he goes, I just relish being able to do this with you. I was like, well, that's the first time anybody's used the word relish (laughs) when not referring to a condiment. So that that was pretty impressive. But I prayed that night when I got off the phone. I said, Lord, help my heart be that tender when I'm in my 50s and my 60s in my 70s? Would I never grow callous in ministry? Would I never stop realizing and recognizing just what's at stake and how much fun we get to have when we go to battle for people?
Leonard Ravenhill says it this way, if we had more sleepless nights in prayer, there would be fewer souls to have sleepless nights in an eternal hell. If we started recognizing just how much is at stake. And my friends, I can't help you do that. Daniel can't help you do that. No one can inspire you into that, only the Holy Spirit. But you see, the prophetic anointing also comes with power. So a chapter later, you have Peter. (laughs) The same Peter who couldn't even share his faith with a young girl at a campfire. (laughs) It just stood in front of 3,000 people and they got saved. And that same Peter is walking into the temple one day. There's a man crippled from birth who asks him for money, and Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the Bible says instantly the, man's, the man has strength returned to his bones, and he jumps up and down praising God. Pretty cool story. Now we read that in Scripture, we're like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a cool story. That's a Bible story. Yeah, yeah, a crippled man walks, all right? Well, I want you to think about this for just a second. If you had been there to witness that miracle, it says this guy had been crippled from birth. That means he had never walked before. If he had never walked before, it means that he didn't have leg muscles. Meaning that he probably, it would have just been a femur here. And skin on top of it. Not only did this guy get up and walk, it says that he jumped up and down. Meaning that if you had witnessed this miracle, you would have literally watched muscle tissue grow back onto this man's legs. You wouldn't have been able to see it, but you would have watched a couple years worth of physical therapy and neurological connections all of a sudden become interwoven in his brain immediately. Because a man who had been crippled from birth now knows how to jump up and down. Not only did God give him strength, he gave him athletic ability. Now some of you are like, I could use some of that, Steve. <laughs> the Lord is capable. All right, we're, we're not going to pray for athletic ability today. All right. Um, I guess maybe the Lord could do that. But uh, we're not going to go there. Anyways. Okay. The point of the story that I love is a couple verses later, people start rushing around, right? There's a crowd drawing in. People are like, are you kidding me? What's the crippled guy? The crippled guy got healed. Like the guy that sits there every single day, he's jumping up and down. Yeah, right. I got to come look this for the myself. Oh my gosh. It's like, wow, there was like a million leg days all in one, you know? What happened? I can't even, I I haven't done leg day in a month. (laughs) That guy did a million of them in one day. This is amazing. Everybody's mind is getting blown. And Peter gets up and he says one of my favorite lines in scripture. He says, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? What? Peter, leg day, leg day, are you kidding me? That's surprising. I just watched muscle mass grow into this man's leg. He goes, why does this surprise you? Why do you look at us as if by our own power we made this man walk? And he goes on to preach the gospel about the power of the Holy Spirit. The same God that set your your ancestors free from slavery. That's who did this. The same God who parted the Red Sea and called down fire from heaven. That's who did this. Muscle tissue? Not a big deal. Is that our mentality when we go to God in prayer? That coworker that's so far from God. We say, ah, I think they're beyond hope. <laughs> and they show up to church. Why, why should that surprise you that they would say yes to an invitation? Why should it surprise you that if you pray for somebody's family member at work that something's going to change? It's like, oh, My prayers are with you, brother. It's like, no, we're going to pray right now. We're going to believe for something to change. 
because my God changes things. So we're going to pray right now. And then the next day, be like, hey, I've been praying for you. Has anything changed in that family member's life? It's like, okay, I'm going to keep praying. What do we communicate when we say that? We don't just communicate that it's like thoughts and prayers. That's like weird therapeutic deism. Yikes. No, 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 no. My God actually can change. It will not surprise me. If your mom who has cancer gets healed, that would not surprise me. That would not surprise me. Why? Because I know that my God is capable. I know he's capable. First time I ever saw somebody get physically healed, there was a dude named Jeremiah. We were working at a Bible camp in Alaska. And uh, at this Bible camp, uh, there was a blob. You guys know what a blob is? You like jump on one end and you send somebody sailing, you know? Well, there was this giant Samoan dude that was very athletic at camp, right? I mean, he was like, uh, could have been an NFL linebacker. He was super athletic and he probably like weighed 275 pounds. And, uh, and I don't weigh 275 pounds. So I was like, dude, you're blobbing me. So like, he... <laughs> He blobbed me, and I, like, I saw the curvature of the earth. You know what I'm saying? It was awesome. It was awesome. So Jeremiah is like, that was sweet. I want to do that. All right? So Jeremiah goes, and he sits on the blob, and I'm pretty sure the initial impact knocked Jeremiah out. I'm not kidding. Because when he flew through the air, he didn't like, you know how you're like supposed to like write yourself in the air? He just kind of like flew as like a sack of potatoes, all right? And he didn't try to write himself at all. I'm like, oh. And he goes straight up and he lands on the water straight on his neck. No joke. And he comes out of the water screaming, ah! And we swim out to him. We drag him back in. And probably, probably should have like put him on an actual like stretcher board or something like that. And he's screaming in pain. I'm like, what's wrong? He goes, I know what happened. He goes, this is the same thing that happened last summer. It's like, this happens every summer? Like, <laughs> he goes, there is a disc in my neck. I've had this injury before and I'm pretty sure it popped out of place. Yeah, oops. <laughs> okay. So we're in charge of the service that night. And I'm like, go sit tight. We're going to take care of the service, Jeremiah. You don't need to worry about it. And uh, there's a problem with the soundboard. Nobody else knows how to run a soundboard except for Jeremiah. So I go back into his room. I'm like, hey, Jeremiah, I need your help. I'm so sorry. And like, he's like cussing at me under his breath as he's like walking towards church. I was like, I, but I didn't say anything to him. And uh, he comes. And that night, there was a message spoken about, it's very similar to this one, about how God has the power to heal people. And uh, there was a word of knowledge spoken about somebody's ACL. And literally this dude's ACL gets healed at the service that night. And so a bunch of us walk back to Jeremiah. We're like, Jeremiah, God's healing people in here. Let's pray for your neck. And he goes, okay. And so we lay hands on his neck. And I am not kidding you. I like, uh, there's no exaggeration to this story. We literally, as we laid hands on his neck, we literally felt stuff move. And we get done praying, and I, we're like, hey, did anything happen? And he goes like this, and then his eyes just go, this is insane, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, it's so funny. Like, it's, we serve an infinite God, and every single time it's the same thing. It's like, wow, right? And he goes, which one of you was pushing on my neck? I said, nobody was pushing on your neck. He goes, I was about ready to turn around and punch you guys. <laughs> because somebody started pushing on my neck. And then I realized it wasn't hurting. I was like, Jeremiah, we lightly laid hands on your neck. Nobody pushed on your neck. The Holy Spirit pushed on your neck. And that night after service, Jeremiah literally went skipping back to our cabin. It was like, literally like something from the book of Acts, man. It was so cool. God can do this stuff. 
Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need emotional healing. God wants to anoint you with power. He wants to anoint you with power. That prophetic anointing is so powerful. And I know we talked about this earlier this morning, but I think this is why tongues are so important in our walk with Jesus is because it's a way of stirring up that prophetic anointing in our lives to say, God, I want to flow in your guidance. I want to flow in your power. I want to flow in your direction. I want to have your heart. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. If we're going to edify the church, we need to be edified ourselves. Jesus needs to do something in us so that he can do something through us. And that's what praying in the Spirit is all about. It's a way of challenging what we think is possible and reminding us that we serve an infinite God. It's a way of challenging our prayer lives to not just pray for what we think God can do, but it's a way of praying for what God actually wants to do and is capable of doing, even if we don't think he's capable of doing it in our limited faith. If you're not excited about this, then I don't, I don't know, man. I just, this, this, is, this is Christianity as normal, friends. This is what Christianity should be as normal. All right, let's look at the last anointing, and that is the anointing of the king or the queen. In the Old Testament, the anointing of a, of a king or a, a, some sort of governmental leader was to govern and to advance a kingdom. It was to lead armies. It was an anointing that, required, that, that involved boldness and courage. And in the same way today, living in the new covenant, God wants to anoint you with boldness to advance his kingdom. That Peter, that same Peter that was weak, that couldn't share his faith and failed three times in a row, he literally struck out. Gets up in front of 3,000 people immediately after being baptized in the Holy Spirit and preaches a message in which 3,000 people get saved. The Lord needs people who are willing to walk in authority, walk in boldness, walk in tenacity, and walk in kingdom vision to advance his kingdom the way he wants to advance his kingdom. Amen? Have you been walking in such a way in your city in which you've taken ownership, authority, boldness over your city? When you look at Cedar Falls, Iowa, or Waterloo, Iowa, or wherever you came in from today, do you look at it and do you say, God, I have vision for my city to know you. I have vision for my city to know you. And I will do whatever it takes to see the kingdom of God advance and for Christ glorified. It's exactly what leads us to a place of being able to do what we talked about last night, and that is to go full send for Jesus. Walking in authority and tenacity in Scripture or in, in our lives, in, in our everyday lives, the, the world needs this. We never know what we're going to run into as we follow Jesus. We had a student, his name is Sai, and Sai is a passionate follower of Jesus and grew a lot while he was going to college. And uh, one day they decide that at the beginning of the semester, they're going to do a prayer night in his house. And so they have a prayer night and this guy comes who had uh, been involved in a bunch of like weird pagan Norris religion stuff, and, uh, but was exploring what it means to follow Jesus and uh, tells everybody that, that he feels like he is possessed by a demon. There's no Chi Alpha pastor there that day. There's nobody who has ministry credentials behind or in front of their name. There's only students. Sai is a junior in college at the time. But Sai's read his Bible. And Sai knows that the Bible says that everything is subject to the authority of Christ on heaven and on earth. And that greater is he who lives inside than he that is in the world. 
And so Sai does what any good Christian should do in that moment. He says, well, do you want to be set free? And the guy said, yes, I do. I want to be rid of this thing. And he said, okay, well, then you need to get saved. You need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And then we're going to pray this thing out of you. So you ready to accept Christ? He says, yes. And then he says, okay, we're going to pray. And this guy starts to manifest on his back porch. They literally had an exorcism on his back porch. A bunch of college students. And he calls me afterwards. And he says, Steve, you'll never guess what happened at prayer night. <laughs> and I said, good job. <laughs> it's Christianity is normal. It's Christianity is normal, friends. There are people that are inflicted all around us that we have the authority to see them set free. God wants to give you that authority. He wants to give you fresh vision. When we moved to Alaska and we start planting it at UAA, when we start planting Chi Alpha at UAA, it was the most depressing thing to talk to Christians in Anchorage. Like the most depressing thing. I sat down with one pastor who'd been doing ministry in Anchorage for 30 years. I said, well, what do I need? What does a young man need to know about doing ministry in Alaska? He said, well, first of all, you got to know that none of the churches here in town really get along. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> And then he goes, the other thing you need to know is that your normal Chi Alpha tricks aren't going to work at UAA. The tricks? <laughs> what tricks do I have? It's like, <laughs> hey, you know. I... <laughs> and then people get saved. It's like that, I don't really know what that even means, right? He goes, yeah, Steve, it's a commuter campus. There's no energy on campus. You're not going to be able to meet on campus. No one's going to come to any of your large group meetings. Chi Alpha's never worked there. It never will work there. It's like, thanks. I'm glad you bought my coffee. Like, it was depressing. And Aaron and I just refused to listen to any of, the, any of that stuff. We had come there because the Lord had given us vision for a campus, and we were going to listen to God's vision, not the vision of man who had doubt and had lots of different things to be naysayers about. And it was really simple. We don't have any Chi Alpha tricks. I just tell people that we started Chi Alpha with a Frisbee, a living room, and a Bible. We played Frisbee on Friday nights. We had, a, we had everybody over to our house for an after party after Frisbee, and then we had a Bible study on Tuesdays. And within a year, 20 students had gotten saved, and we had 75 students in our Chi Alpha group. Why? Not because, not, yeah, God, God did it, right? Not because, not because of any trick, but because the Spirit of God had birthed a vision in us. And we believed that he was going to do what he promised that he was going to do. A couple years later, we weren't reaching Alaskan Native students, and we said, God, you told us, you, you gave us vision that you were going to use college ministry to impact every single corner of the state of Alaska, and you're not doing it. I don't understand. And God said, I gave you that vision for a reason. Do not give up. We'll have a different strategy for you. And thus the marketplace ministry vision was, or that, that whole initiative was birthed, but it was birthed out of a vision that was given to us by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was not a Steve idea, it was not a Paul idea, it was a Holy Spirit idea. And my friends, as we start to go down these roads, we need tenacity to keep going. I want to close with a story of my friend Nathan. I think I have a picture of Nathan in a boat. Oh, there he is. I like this picture of Nathan. It speaks volumes to his personality. Nathan was a student in our Chi Alpha group at UAA. And uh, when he came to college, he was a little bit of a punk. He was a ladies' man. Kind of had to keep an eye on him because uh, uh, he hung out with a lot of different girls, right? And... He was part of Chi Alpha more for the social aspect of Chi Alpha, not because he was necessarily interested in following Jesus with everything in his life and making disciples. But you see, around his sophomore year, Nathan was part of our Chi Alpha group and he got diagnosed with cancer. And Nathan is this incredible athlete, 
very confident guy. And he, while walking through cancer, was kind of faced with his own mortality and his own weakness. And when he was faced with that weakness, he started to realize that, man, maybe I'm not as tough as I actually think I am. You see, it put him in a position in an attitude of surrender, like we talked about this morning, to say, Holy Spirit, I think I'm ready for you to finally maybe do something in my life. And Nathan, at one of our Chi Alpha conferences, finally says, I need to something to change. And so he comes forward to receive prayer for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Nathan gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. He starts to pray in the Spirit. And I, man, like tears, this big tough guy. I don't think that he'd ever cried a day in his life. Tears are streaming down his face, right? Like God is tenderizing his heart. And he literally became a new person that day. We continued to pray for Nathan. He continued to walk through cancer treatment. And that fall... He was halfway through our leadership training when the cancer treatment kind of had an uptick have to happen to it. And so he had to drop out of our, uh, drop out of our leadership training. He said, Steve, I really want to do it, but I just, I just can't do it because I'm going through cancer treatment. I said, that's a pretty good excuse, bro. We're going to give you a pass. All right. And so the next year he comes back and he goes through our entire leadership training again hungry and excited to make disciples. He becomes a small group leader, is to this day probably made more disciples at UAA than any of our other small group leaders ever have. While leading a small group, God calls him into ministry and says, I want you to go teach in an Alaskan village. And so he says, okay, and he gets super pumped about this. Nathan loves the outdoors and loves to fish, loves to do all that. He's like, this is going to be great. He loves to play basketball. They love playing basketball in the village. So he's he's pumped about this. He gets halfway through the training program a year and a half ago, and the cancer comes back. And he has to quit the training program to go get treatment. And a year later, he is now cancer-free. And he just started the training program again. Yeah. Nathan is currently doing his student teaching out in a village. He's going to wrap up our 10-month training program with his wife, Grace. And next fall, they're going to be missionaries in a village in Alaska. And I believe this, that that day when Nathan got baptized in the Holy Spirit, His heart was softened for the lost. He went from being somebody who was living a life of sin to being a carrier and caretaker of the presence of God. He started to care about people the way God cared about people. And there was a kingship anointing that rose up in him that literally said, come hell or high water, I will follow the path that God has for me. I will not waver to the right or to the left. I will be tenacious. I will be perseverant. I will fight and I will finish the race. And I believe that all of that, as we talked about last night, is going to be used by God to make Nathan one of the most tenacious village missionaries Alaska has ever seen. And I can't wait to see what the Lord does through this man. Is it in the power of Nathan? No, because if you knew Nathan before he was walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you would know that that young man had nothing to offer. It is because the Holy Spirit is not just in him, but is surrounding him, has baptized him, has anointed him in the prophetic and in the priestly and in the kingship anointing. If you would stand with me in this place, friends, anointing is always received from a place of surrender. When someone, when a prophet would anoint a king, they would put oil all over that person's head. That is a pretty vulnerable position, right? 
to have somebody pour oil on your head or to when, when we kneel on the ground or when whatever, whatever it is, my, my prayer for you in these next few moments is that you would be willing to just come to a place of surrender before the Lord. And so I'm going to call you forward here in a little while, and I'm going to ask that you would come and you would posture yourself in a position of surrender. If that means kneeling down, that's fine. If it means just getting out of your seat and going somewhere with the Lord as a way of communicating to your heart that I'm ready, I'm going somewhere to receive something. Maybe it's just to extend your hands as if to receive. Maybe it's just to close your eyes, to separate yourself from everything else around you. But this afternoon, what we're going to do is a smorgasbord altar call, as I refer to it as, meaning that this is going to be a big old prayer buffet line up here. And if you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're gonna be praying for that right over here next to the baptismal in this section. And uh, even now we can have some people that are on the prayer team come up that are gonna be praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And here's what we're gonna do is we're going to lay hands on you and we're gonna pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to wait upon the Lord for the Lord to bestow upon you the gift of being able to pray in the Spirit. Because we believe that if it happened in Acts 2, and if it happened in Acts 10, and if it happened in Acts 19, it can happen today. This is Christianity as normal. And so we're going to pray for you, and I don't know what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is not a formula. We can't like plug in this and then have this get spit out. Sometimes you get emotional, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you cry, sometimes people don't. Sometimes people laugh, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they pray in tongues right away. Sometimes it takes them a little while. That's not up for me to decide or the person praying for you to decide. It's up for the Holy Spirit to decide. All you can control is the position of your heart. And so you just come with an attitude of surrender. And they might encourage you to surrender your speech to the Holy Spirit, which means that if the Lord calls to mind a syllable that is not English or that you've never prayed before, just trust that the Lord is good and speak it out. And that's okay. Amen? Okay. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, meaning you you need to, you just want... Maybe, maybe it's been a long time since you've prayed in the Spirit. Maybe you got baptized in the Holy Spirit when you were a kid and you haven't prayed in tongues since and you just need a refresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I believe God is going to do that. And if you would like prayer for that, I'm going to ask that you would come to this middle part of the, of the altar area and we'll have people coming around to pray with you. But the Lord can do that sovereignly in your life as well. So even if somebody doesn't lay hands on you, start seeking the Lord and believing that he's going to do it. And I believe that the Lord is going to bestow upon you a, maybe, maybe the Lord's going to convict you of sin. Maybe he's going to give you a glimpse of his heart. Maybe he's going to give you boldness and authority. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit knows what the Holy Spirit's going to do. It's going to be wonderful and you can trust him. Amen. And then over here, we're going to be praying for people to be healing or to be healed. If you need physical healing or emotional healing for anything in your body or anything in your mind or anything in your heart, we're going to believe for God to do that this afternoon. Amen. Okay. So baptism in the Holy Spirit, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and healing over here. A couple things that I want to call out. If you are here this afternoon and you have been having problems with your right leg, specifically you have a hard time extending your leg fully, I believe that God is going to bring healing. I just feel like there's somebody here that the Lord wants to heal for that condition. Another thing that I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying is that there's somebody in here with uh, right here in this position on your back, the left side of your back, near like kind of the middle bottom of your back, that there is pain in that area of your back and the Lord wants to heal you this afternoon, please come forward for prayer. We are believing that God would not have called that out had he not wanted to heal. And so we're going to stand in the faith built by that word and we are going to use that as faith fuel to see that healing happen. Amen? All right. Lastly, is I really, uh, where's, where's Daniel? Is Daniel here? Uh-oh, uh-oh. This is, I might, have, I might have called him out a while ago. Daniel, can you come here really quick? I just feel like the Lord gave me a, a prophetic word for your church. 
And so we're going to, I'm just going to speak that out. And then we're going to pray collectively as a church before this altar call, specifically for, for Daniel and for Emily and also just for Sent Church. Uh, Daniel, this is what I feel like the Lord said, that I just was praying during, during worship and, and the Lord just called to mind the fact that that this, that this building burning, that God is going to somehow use that for his glory. And this is what I felt like the Lord said, that buildings, all church buildings will eventually burn. All of them in this world are tinder. But souls are forever. And that he is looking for a church whose primary goal is to keep tinder, tinder, in perspective and not to worry about the building of the physical church as much as we are to worry about the building of the spiritual church and that sent church is being called to be a church for souls that sent church is going to be being called to be a community of believers who when something happens to something in the physical that they say we can look past it because all of the physical is just dust and to dust it will return. In fact, I felt like the Lord said, and this might sound weird, but I felt like the Lord said that you're supposed to go get a piece of that burnt building and keep it in your office. As a reminder that whenever something happens to your building or whenever something happens in the physical, you can just have that as a reminder that it is dust and to dust it will return. But we as Sent Church are going to continue to fight for souls. We are going to continue to fight for the unperishable things. So let's just pray over this. God, I pray that Sent Church would be a church noted as a church that fights for the unperishable, that fights for the souls that are gonna last for eternity. And God, if things don't work out perfectly in the physical, I pray that Daniel and Emily would be leaders, that would be leaders that that this have that be like water on a duck's back, that it would just roll right off. Lord, the stress and anxiety associated with this building and this project, Lord, I pray that you would make their yoke easy and their burden light in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would bring people alongside of them to lift up their arms in prayer, to lift up their arms to help them come alongside of them both in the spiritual but also in the physical, that you would call people even in this room to say, how can I help? How can I be of assistance? How can I lighten your load in this season and Lord I thank you that Sent Church is going to be a church that doesn't push their own agenda but pushes the agenda of the kingdom that doesn't look to make their congregants comfortable but looks to keep their congregants on mission Jesus name. Amen. And I'm going to pray over all of us and I'm just going to invite you forward. This is not meant to be a, uh, uh, a, a spectator sport at this point. All right. Church is not a spectator sport. You are to get involved. And so as I pray, start to come forward again, baptism, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the infilling. I know we don't have a ton of room up here, so that can happen even in your seats. All right. That's okay. But find a place to just be in the presence of God. And then if you need healing, we're praying for you over here. Lord, be with us in these next few moments. Do what you will, Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would walk out of here saying those words that Peter uttered. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? It is by your power that people will walk both physically and into things spiritually. We believe that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come forward for prayer.